Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Good morning. All right, well, how beautiful, you know, singing that last song, You Make Beautiful Things, and I was thinking, what a beautiful thing seeing Drew and Logan, like father and daughter, singing together. Wasn't that gorgeous? So I just thought that was so cool. Drew, we've already praised you enough, but Logan, you have a pretty awesome voice. It was great to hear you singing up there, and it was a beautiful thing. Uh, If you have a Bible, please turn or scroll or click to John chapter 3. If you need a Bible, I'm sure there's some strong men that will come up here and carry one to you. Just put your hand up. So the Olympics began this week. Anybody excited about the Olympics? A few of you? Um, you know, with everything going on in our world, it's, it's just nice for once to see everybody together in one place uh, and not, not warring with each other. I mean, sure, they're competing with each other, but they're at least not trying to actually kill each other, um, which is really nice. I mean, I, I was just watching even some of the younger gymnasts interact that are on competing teams, and there's sort of like a camaraderie amongst different nations even, that, you know, they're sort of cheering each other on when they have a good performance, and uh, I I watched the women's, I don't know, it was one of the women's swimming events. I want to say it's like the individual 400 medley, and uh, this girl from Hungary set the new world record in this heat. Did anybody see that? I I saw it was pretty awesome. I mean, she just crushed it. She was like so far ahead of the world record, and... Uh, the American girl came in second, and she, like, afterwards, she, like, rips off her mask. She's like, holy, sh-, you know, like, <laughs> like, looking at this Hungarian girl, like, you just killed the world record. Like, like it was so funny, you know, they didn't edit it, but it was, uh, I was like, oh, my goodness, they just, you know, they just shared that on, uh, you know, and MSNBC or whatever it was. Uh, but anyway. Well, this week we're starting a new series, and Boog and I talked a little bit about what we would call it, and we never actually agreed on it because, you know, we're not super hung up on that kind of stuff, but uh, the idea for this next series is come and you'll see. Come and you'll see. And it's uh, it's like when you're young and you've found something cool, I want to, I'm trying to think of like how to explain this, and you want to like tell your parents or your friends about this cool thing you found, and you're like, no, 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 come and see. Come, and you'll see it. No, come, and you'll see. And, and I'm trying to think, like, as a, as a parent, maybe you can identify with this if you're a parent. For me, it's like, my kid, my daughter runs in and like, dada, 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 you have to see this. You have to see this. And in my mind, I'm thinking, like, it's probably a caterpillar, you know, and, uh, I've seen a lot of caterpillars, you know, and, but, she, no, you have to see, what is it, sweetie? And I just want her to explain it to me. Just tell me what it is. I don't need to go and see it. Tell me what it is. And she, no, 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 
no, no, no, no, daddy, daddy, come see, come, you'll see, you'll see. And we go out there, and sure enough, it's a caterpillar. Um, <laughs> but for them, it's like this exciting event, right? It's like a caterpillar, and it's this gift. Uh, and so sometimes this idea of come and you'll see, it's, it requires action. you got to go. And so we're going to focus over the next number of weeks on the Gospel of John and the encounters, the interactions, the things that uh, happen in Jesus' journey and the people he comes across, the various groups that he comes across, what's happening in there. And uh, John was a little bit older when he wrote his Gospel, uh, and so he had some time to think about how he wanted to structure it and write it and the imagery that he wanted to use. And uh, so as we go through this series, the thing that Boog and I want to have on your mind uh, is this idea of come, and you'll see. And if you're new to this church or you're new to church in general, this is a great series for you. Uh, I'm glad that you're here. If you're fed up with religion in some way or another, I'm glad that you're here. If you are in a place where you just kind of feel numb, like, I just haven't really been feeling it lately, I haven't been experiencing what I used to experience, I'm glad that you're here. I think this series is going to be right up your alley. Uh, sometimes we're, we're hungering, we're after something deeper in our spiritual life. We want something more. And we're looking for an explanation, like, where is this coming from? Why do I all of a sudden care about this? What's going on in my life? Uh, this series is for you. If you're terrible at relationships, this series is for you. The idea is that as we study the life of Jesus, as we study his interactions, we're going to learn what it looks like to be truly human. And we've talked about this over the last uh, couple months as I've been sharing with you guys that I think Jesus has not necessarily shown us, come to show us how to be like Christ, but how to be truly human. And, and this, this is kind of like, I, I can sense maybe some of you are like, what? No, we're supposed to be Christ-like. And I get that. Like, I understand. But really, there's one Christ, and that's, that's the Messiah, Jesus. But what he shows us is what real humanity could look like, true humanity. And we've talked about all the inhumanity that we see all around us, all the, all the killing, all the ways that we're setting records and ways that we hate. That's a result of inhumanity. And Jesus is saying, let me show you what it looks like to be truly human. This is what it could look like. So, if you want to become more loving, more kind, more generous, more centered, more at peace, more forgiving, more patient, more honest than you've ever been, then we're going to, what we need to do is look at the life of Jesus, okay? You follow me? We're going to be most like a son or daughter of mankind, of humanity. And Jesus most often referred to himself as the son of man, okay? So, our hope, and I'm just trying to frame in this whole series a little bit for you guys. That's, that's what this whole introduction is about, just framing in where we're going for the next number of weeks. 
framing in this idea that maybe your eyes could be open just a little bit more. Not just because of the coffee, though that can help. Uh, but I'm talking about this greater awareness. A greater awareness and, and enlightenment. Um, a higher level of understanding or learning about your own life. This is an invitation to come into the life of Jesus and see. Okay? And we say you want to see, and that's what I'm going to focus on this morning, this idea of seeing. I can see all of you. Can you all see me? If you can't, then you uh, need to stand up, and that's okay too, or I'll move around a little bit, or you're asleep, and that's fine too. Uh, but this idea of seeing, and I'm not talking just in a physiological sense, like, yeah, I see you, Esh, like I see these, these young friends out here. I see you. It's not just in a physiological sense. I'm talking about a metaphorical, psychological type of seeing, like the way you see yourself. How do you see yourself? When someone says, how do you see yourself? It's not like, well, I go to the mirror and then I see myself. It's, it's a deeper question, right? How do, you see, or how do you see the world? What's your point of view? You follow me on this? Like, there's a deeper idea of seeing. And I want to I just briefly touch on this idea real quick. It comes, uh, the idea for this series comes from John chapter 1, and you can turn over there if you want, but I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, and I didn't do slides today because I just wanted you to focus on me, really. Um, not really. The next day, it's, this is John chapter 1, verse 36 through 39. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus. And as he walked by, he said, this is John looking at Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Um, that's weird, first of all. There, there should be a little bit more explanation in there, but there's not. If I, I mean, if I was standing outside at Baby Beach, and I was like, behold the Lamb of God, and some dude walked by, would you be like, all right, I'm out. I'm just going to follow that guy. So there's a little explanation there. But the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now Jesus turned and saw, saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? Notice the visual image, imagery there. What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. Now I would submit to you that G when Jesus asked them that question, what are you seeking? That this is the question. This is the one that haunts us and continues to haunt me. And I think a question that we spend our lives trying to find an answer for. What are you seeking? Are you seeking fame? Are you seeking fortune? A good life? Just enough? Uh, a certain kind of car? Are you seeking the best waves? Are you seeking to have the greatest kids? The best marriage? The greatest house? What is it that you're seeking? The greatest job? What are you looking for? And now these men, they're like, uh, oh, he caught us, <laughs> you know, he saw us following him. So they say this sort of backhand, they ask him a question, well, where, where are you staying, is what they say. And here's what's cool about the Greek language uh, when we read it. It can sometimes reveal some insight. And I'm not always big on bringing out the Greek, uh, but that word staying, where are you staying, in the Greek, is the word mene. Uh, it's from the word, word, root word meno, which means abiding or staying, right? Abiding. Where are you abiding? Where are you staying? Now, this is the same word Jesus uses 
later on in the book of John, chapter 15, from which we get what we call this little gathering branches, okay? This is John chapter 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. I'm not the vine, but he is the vine. You are the branches, we are the branches. Uh, Those who stay or abide, meno, in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. So, what I propose is that these disciples are probably not even sure what they're asking. Uh, maybe they are, but Jesus, where are you abiding? Where are you abiding? And Jesus says, come and you'll see. Come and you'll see. And now we, we've taken this abide in the vine, and these are all metaphors for things that sometimes go over our heads and we don't truly understand. But there's what Jesus is saying, no, come and you'll see where I'm abiding. I, I think it's a little more than just like, well, there it is. It's this mat and, uh, you know, a makeshift pillow, and it's it, my, you know, my in-laws. It can't be his in-laws. He's not married. So it's, uh, it's at, you know, one of my brothers or sisters' houses or something. This is where I'm staying. Was, was that really what they were asking? No. They're asking such a deeper question. Where are you abiding? And in order to find out that, you have to come and see. Okay? All right. That word come is erkomai. It means to come or go. So the idea is that first you have to act, and then you will get to see. Okay? So if, if he said come and see, and they're like, yeah, I think we're done. Why don't you just tell us about it? Tell us about it, right? Like the caterpillar. No, no, no. I've seen a million different beds and, you know, houses. We don't need to go see it. Just tell us where you're staying. Right? No. You have to act. You have to move. You have to go. You have to enter into a process. And then you'll see. It doesn't come from just telling. And here's the thing that I think we miss in a lot of our culture is we're so obsessed with getting all the knowledge and getting all the information right that we forget to act. Would you agree? We know way too much. I think it was uh, Gandhi that says, man, if you would just live out even half of what Jesus talks about, even a small percentage. Or I think it was, uh, it was, it was even uh, one person that criticized uh, someone, had, uh, it was, oh gosh, this is where my public speaking is falling to pieces right here. Here's the story, uh, pulling it out. E. Stanley Jones, a conservative minister, <laughs> really, that worked with Gandhi. He writes in his book, Gandhi, Portrait of a Friend, he says, some of you Christians wonder whether or not Gandhi will be in heaven. And he says, how dare you judge Gandhi? For Gandhi, with his small knowledge of the gospel, lived it out, while you, with your vast knowledge of the gospel, barely take one step that looks Christ-like. And I'm like, oh, just cuts right to the heart, right? I know way more than I should versus how close it looks to the actual steps of Jesus. Don't get caught up in knowing everything. Get more caught up in becoming a loving person, in doing the action, getting out there, going and seeing where he's abiding, okay? They talk about the, uh, the ivory tower sort of person. You get caught in your ivory tower with all your books and all your information. You have all of it sorted, but you're not living it out. So my hope 
is that you'll become a person who acts. Now, before we go any further, have I told you guys my, the Kit Kat story? Anybody remember the Kit Kat story? Good. Fantastic. The Kit Kat. Does everybody know what a Kit Kat is? You guys want some Kit Kat right now, don't you? I wish I had some Kit Kat for you. Uh, parents, take note if your child is out there, get them a Kit Kat. Uh, Kit Kat. So, my friend told me this story, and I think it's fabulous. He was at a San Francisco airport, and there was a, it's, this woman who was traveling, and she had a layover, and she was going to, uh, she was, you know, she went to like Hudson News or whatever it is, you know, the store there in the airport, and you kind of, you can buy some, you know, John Grisham novel or a magazine or some Advil or a Kit Kat is also on the list of things that you can get there. So she gets the Kit Kat. And uh, you remember the old Kit Kats that were like first in the silver wrapping and then it had like the Kit Kat wrapping around it? You guys remember that? That's how far back this story goes. Uh, those don't exist anymore. So she buys this Kit Kat and then she goes and sits in one of those kind of cafeteria areas. You know, they've got like the Pizza Hut and the Cinnabon and all that kind of stuff right in there. And she sits down and there's, you know, a bunch of tables of two and she sits down at the table, kind of puts her purse on one of the tables, and, and, and then a man comes and sits at a table. In, you know, there's one table in between them that has her purse and stuff on it, and then another table, and this man puts his jacket on the table. And all of a sudden, you know, she's just sitting there, kind of like reading her magazine and waiting for her flight, and all of a sudden, this guy's got the Kit Kat out. You know, and it's sitting on the table. And she's like, huh. But she doesn't, you know, it's just in the wrapping. She's like, oh, that's no big deal. But then he reaches over and, and he opens it and he breaks off a piece and eats it and then kind of wraps it back up and puts it on the table, kind of like sliding it that way. And she's like, did that, that guy just ate my Kit Kat? What just happened? And so she's just like, well, I'm just going to, you know, I, I don't want to get, this guy could be crazy. I'm not going to get into some weird, inner, you know, altercation with the guy at the airport. Well, he goes uh, over and he kind of grabs it again a little bit later and takes off another piece and eats it. Then wraps it again and puts it on the table between them and kind of slides it that way. And now she's like, you know, kind of giving him that high, like, what are you doing with my Kit Kat? You know, she doesn't say anything, but she's just like, Kind of mean, you know, mean mugging him, mad dogging him, whatever you want to say. You know, just give him the look. Like, dude, lay off the Kit Kat. And so, finally, he, he, he goes again and he, he grabs the Kit Kat and he eats the third piece. And now she's just like, you know, if it was a cartoon, like the top of her head would have come off and flipped in the air and steam and then, you know, dropped back down. And she's lost it. And this guy, he like puts it down and he gets up and he leaves his jacket and the rest of the Kit Kat and he goes and gets in line at Cinnabon. And she's like, what? She, so he goes and gets in, in line at Cinnabon and she waits till he gets like all the way to the front and he orders a Cinnabon. And as, she, as he's paying for it, she walks up there, she goes up to the counter, grabs the Cinnabon and looks at him and goes, 
puts it back down. <laughs> Takes a bite of this guy's Cinnabon, and he's like, what? <laughs> like, just happened. And she leaves, like, rushes off in a huff, leaves the Kit Kat bar, grabs her, her purse, and goes to her gate. And as she's getting on the flight, you know, she gets on the flight, and she's kind of like, she's all in a, you know, just a, you know, she's all wound up, and she's finally starting to calm down. She, like, gets to her seat, and she's putting things away, and she, she, uh, she sees the magazine there, and she's thinking, I want to do a crossword puzzle just to take my mind off this whole thing. And she reaches into her purse, into her pen, to get a, grab a pen, and what she finds in there is her perfectly intact, all-wrapped Kit Kat bar. <laughs> now, <laughs> what you think is real matters, right? To her, that was her Kit Kat bar. There was, that was what was real in that situation. That's how she saw the world. That was her point of view, right? And so it made perfect sense for her to run up to the front of the line and grab some guy's random dude Cinnabon and take a bite out of it. That made sense in her world. It was justified. And most of us would say, like, yeah, you go, girl. Like, get yours, you know? Like, we condone it. Yes, take that Cinnabon. That's retribution right there. That's justice. But if that is not how the world is actually ordered, that kind of action doesn't make sense. Right? It's ludicrous. It's absurd. How you move and behave and live in your world depends on how you see your world. You follow me? Okay, with that in mind, let's look to our passage for this morning. I want to just point out a few things tell you another couple fun things, and then we'll, we'll close out here. So, we're in John chapter 3. There's a lot going on in this passage, but I want to focus on this idea of seeing primarily. But I'll read you the whole passage here. This is John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees. These are the, these are the pastors of the day, the religious people of the day, uh, committed to the Word of the Lord, committed to the Torah, committed to God's to God's law. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, this guy had, a, had become someone amongst the people. He's a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, which means this is, again, the images of light and dark that John uses. So, by night means probably he didn't want to be seen in the light of day with Jesus because he's a ruler of the Jews and the Jews weren't quite settled on who Jesus was. He said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, that doesn't sound like a question to me, but then Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How many of you have heard of that phrase, born again? Born again right? And, and most often we use this as, this is, in order to get into heaven when you die, you must be born again. I'm not going to dispute that, but what Jesus says here, in order to see something, 
namely this kingdom of God that Jesus keeps proclaiming has now come near to you. In order to see it, that word there is actually to see, not to go to after you die, it's to see. You must be born all over again. And then Nicodemus asks him this question, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? We have not seen this technology. Uh, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. Man, that's frustrating, isn't it? (laughs) The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This, we want We want to control the wind, and I would argue that the wind in this case is probably our understanding of God, our understanding of how the world works, our our way of seeing things. The wind blows where it wishes. The Spirit of God goes where it wishes, and you cannot control it. You cannot box it in. You cannot say, this is God and that isn't. You cannot cannot delineate in that way because God will continue to burst out of your boxes, right? There's that old thing that a fish will only grow to the size of the bowl that you put it in. Well, God is this never-ceasing growing fish that will continue to burst out of every bowl that you put him in. Does that make sense? The wind blows where it wishes. So is, is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, a little bit sad, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Like, we're in trouble. If you don't get this kind of stuff, you think you've got it? You think you can control this? You think you can box me in? You don't understand this? Truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony because it doesn't fit in your box, is kind of what he's saying. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, if you remember that, everyone was sick, Moses lifted up a serpent, and everyone who looked on the serpent was healed, was saved immediately. That's why you see at hospitals a serpent wrapped around a stake, okay? Little fun fact right there. Uh, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and I think, and they often say that that's a, a reference to Jesus being lifted up on the cross. So that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For for God so loved the world, and we know this one if you've grown up in the church, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Just hear that. If you're here and you're having any sense of guilt, that is not from him. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit, but guilt is not. He did not come to condemn, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that the works have been carried out in God. So this is a dense passage of Scripture. And I really want to focus, I mean, there's so much to pull out of here. We could do the next eight weeks on this passage alone. But what I want to focus on 
is this idea of seeing, okay? And it comes with light, seeing the kingdom of God. Now, how you see this world is important. How you see everything around you is important. Uh, And your brains, some of you know that I like neuroscience and biology and some of that stuff, and I'm really a total novice, amateur at it. But I find people that dumb it down to my level. And so there is one cognitive scientist, he actually teaches at UCI, his name's Donald Hoffman. Uh, And he talks about how what you see in reality is reality. He says there is no more objective reality. Okay, there is, no, there is nothing outside your perception that is objective, that exists independent of your perception of it. Now we're getting a little like over the head. I get it. Uh, but we, there's been this, I was going to show like a Matrix clip, but I think there's been a ban on Matrix, matrix clips for sermons. So from the Matrix, there was this clip where you know, if you've ever seen the movie, which is now older than your children out there, uh, the, uh, there's a point where they're sitting in the chair and they are in this alternate reality and they're getting beat up in the alternate reality and his nose starts bleeding. Like, why is his nose bleeding if he's in this unreal reality? It's like, your brain makes it real, right? So if you die in that world, you die in the real world. Your brain makes it real. And this is what physics is like actually starting to teach or show and I don't want to argue for that, but how you build your reality. Think of it this way. Your brain is constantly throwing things away, getting rid of stuff, okay? This is, there are so many things that you're seeing right now. You're seeing things that are moving. You're seeing text elements. You're seeing things far. You're seeing things close up. You're seeing things out this window. There's sounds all around you going on, and your brain is sorting through and taking in what's relevant to this moment, that this applies to right now. So your brain's like, that's not important, that's not important. It's doing it mostly subconsciously, right? Like there's a bottle of chloroseptic over there, right there. That's a bottle of chloroseptic throat spray. Your brain didn't need that, so you probably didn't notice it, right? There's a paintbrush right here. Your brain was like, I don't need that. It's not important to this right now. There's some dice right here. You're like, I, they didn't need that. I didn't need the dice. I didn't need to know that that was there right there, you know. There's things all around you happening, going on, and your brain is sorting through them saying, nope, don't need that, don't need that, don't need that, don't need that. And it's creating what is your reality, right? Depending on where you're focusing, your reality will look much different than someone else's, right? Someone's like, all I've been doing is staring at the chloroseptic all morning, I, can't think of anything else now except my throat feels scratchy and I need it. (laughs) That's what your brain is doing. Your brain is building models of reality by throwing things away. You are awash in information, okay? Uh, So what you see matters. What you see matters. And I would submit to you that we don't see what we need to actually be seeing. I would submit to you that Jesus comes to us and says, look, if you want to see what I'm seeing, one, you got to start moving, and two, you got to start all over. Because the way you've been trained to see is not the way that I want you to see. 
You follow me? Is Jesus saying, come, I'll show you what it looks like to really see. You didn't even see all this stuff going on. There is the kingdom all around you, but it's hidden. Oh, that you would have eyes to see and ears to hear. You would hear Jesus say these things. It's right at hand. It's literally like, here's the kitchen. Turn and enter into it. I didn't even see that kitchen. You know? <laughs> yeah. You've got to be born all over again. You need to rethink your entire life, and part of this is going to be unlearning some things. Time to start over because the kingdom has come near to you. I want to read one last little story to you guys, and then we'll close. Uh, this comes from Annie Dillard. Annie Dillard is a, an American essayist and a fantastic writer of poetry and prose. Uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with her. If you're not, she's a Pulitzer Prize winning author for this book called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, which is a really fun uh, collection of essays about her childhood. And uh, they speak so much more. But when I was thinking about this sermon and this idea of seeing, this book came into my mind because the second chapter of this book is entitled uh, Seeing. <laughs> and I want to read to you just uh, this much. It starts right here and ends right here. I like, to, I like you guys to know what you're getting into here. So just settle in. It's story time again. Uh, Annie Dillard, if you haven't read her works, pick them up. They're fabulous. And you'll, you'll get just a little taste right here. I thought about uh, kind of reenacting this, but I'm not going to. Here we go. Seeing. When I was six or seven years old, growing up in Pittsburgh, I used to take, let me see if I have one here, a precious penny of my own and hide it for someone else to find. It was a curious compulsion. Sadly, I've never been seized by it since. For some reason, I always hid the penny along the same stretch of sidewalk up the street. I would cradle it at the roots of a sycamore, say, or in a hole left, off, left by a chipped off piece of sidewalk. Then I would take a piece of chalk, you know, like sidewalk chalk, and starting at either end of the block, draw huge arrows leading up to the penny from both directions. And I learned to, after I learned to write, I labeled the arrows, surprise ahead, or money this way. I was greatly excited during all this arrow drawing at the thought of the first lucky passerby who would receive in this way, regardless of merit, a free gift from the universe. But I never lurked about. I would go straight home and not give the matter another thought. Until some months later, I would be gripped again by the impulse to hide another penny. And then she pauses. It is still the first week in January, and I've got great plans. I've been thinking about seeing. There are lots of things to see. Unwrapped gifts and free surprises. The world is fairly studded and strewn with pennies cast broadside from a generous hand. But, and this is the point, who gets excited about a mere penny? If you follow one arrow, if you crouch motionless on a bank to watch a tremulous ripple thrill on the water, 
and are rewarded by the sight of a muskrat kit paddling from its den. Will you count that a sight, that sight a chip of copper only and go your rueful way? It is dire poverty indeed when, man, when a man is so malnourished and fatigued that he won't stoop to pick up a penny. But if you cultivate a healthy poverty and simplicity so that finding a penny will literally make your day, then since the world is in fact planted in pennies, you have with your poverty bought a lifetime of days. It is that simple. What you see is what you get. Unless you are born all over again, you will not be able to see this reality that is hidden right here, that there are unwrapped gifts and free surprises right in front of you. And I would argue in every single person that you meet, right there is the divine image. Come and you'll see. Let's pray. Well, God, we, uh, we confess that, God, sometimes even though we may be able to see physiologically, we are blind. And we miss so often the unwrapped gifts and free surprises that are at every turn, at every glance, at every inhale and exhale. Lord, would you give us eyes to see? And would you, would you continue to beckon us, call us to action, to move, to begin to read in your word how you behaved, how you thought, how you interacted, how you talked, how you spent your time, that we may begin to see this kingdom that's all around us but is hidden. Open our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.